Good morning, church. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's open with prayer today and just go before the throne of God. Father God, you are so awesome. Father God, we know that you will finish everything that you start. We know that you have all of us in your hands. Father, we know that you've provided a way for us straight into your throne room to sit at your feet and to praise you and to worship you. We know you're not finished with any of us in this room today. So, Father, we pray that that your spirit fills this room, that your spirit fills us this morning, Father, that, that we on this stage are out of the way. I don't care if anyone even sees us. But, God, that they see you and you only and you glorified and you worshiped. Father, we love you and thank you for your blessings. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. what he started he holds the world within his head my God delivers all the promise nothing's greater than him amen my God will break down every stronghold Jericho walls don't stand a chance Nothing's greater than Him. Nothing's greater than Him. Victory is yours, though the battle ain't over. The glory is yours, amen. With hands lifted high, I'll be singing through the fire. My God, He's not finished yet. With me every moment. No power of hell can hold him down. My God turns death to resurrection. Nothing's greater than him. Nothing's greater than him. Sing the victory. That's our prayer. I believe a miracle can happen. 
Shelby Christian Church. It's great to see all of you here this morning. Um, this morning, of course, it's time for communion, and across the room, you see different stands with the communion. You pick up and you have a little cup, a little piece of bread on the bottom, and you have juice on top. And this week, we're continuing our series in James. We're in James chapter two, where James says that faith without works is dead. Now. Faith and works are a lot like a candle. If I light a candle here, it would be impossible for me to separate the light from the heat. It's like having two sides of one coin. I was reading about a farmhand this week who who was talking about this idea, and he said, you know, I work for Jim over here on the farm, and, well, I could sit in Jim's house all day and just sing songs to Jim and tell Jim how great and awesome guy he is, but that's really not going to do any good until I get out and help him with the cows in the morning and help him plant the corn and help him bring in the hay. And I think a lot of times that's how we look at Christianity. We come in, we sing our songs, we say our praises, and these are all awesome, great things. But on the flip side, we need to learn how to work and how to do things for Jesus Christ. Because when we think about communion this morning, we think about the fact of the work that Jesus did. Jesus didn't just come and receive all the accolades that he could have gotten from the crowds. But instead, he served, he worked, and he discipled. And most of all, he went to his death for each one of us. That is the glory of who God is. Let's pray together. Father God, we just praise you this morning. You are the good, awesome, incredible God who loves us so much. And Father, this morning, we just lift this church up to you, Father God. Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would just descend, Father, upon us. Father, I pray for Kevin and the worship team. Father, that you would just anoint them. Father, anoint Jason as he comes and he shares a word with us this morning. 
Father God, our, our world seems to be in turmoil. There seems to be so much going on, so much happening. Yet we know that you are sovereign. That it is your will that needs to be done on this earth as it is in heaven. So Father, that's what we pray for. And Father, I pray that each person here would learn to know what good deeds are. The good deeds don't get them into heaven, but the good deeds are part of being a Christian. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
Hey, you guys may have noticed that uh, Stu wasn't with us this morning. He and his wife Allison are at the hospital waiting to become... Wait. Oh, I thought you guys were at the hospital. I just texted you and were like, hey, dude, baby yet? So, okay. Well, hey, Stu's in the audience today. I thought they were at the hospital waiting on a baby. Still no baby yet? No baby yet. So what I was going to say is, hey, would you guys keep them in your prayers as Stu and Allison wait to become grandparents for the very first time? So that's apparently going to happen at some point this week, right? So, okay. Hey, uh, glad you guys are here this morning. We're in week two of our book, uh, setting the book of James. It's actually a letter that James wrote. He's the brother of Jesus. And he wrote this letter in about between 48 and 52 AD. So it's one of the earliest writings of the New Testament. And it was about 10 or 15 years after Jesus went back to heaven. James wrote this letter to a group of Christians who were in Jerusalem, who then were scattered out amongst the cities and the nations and the areas because they were being persecuted in Jerusalem. So James writes this letter to him. So this morning, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up those. We're going to look at James chapter 2 this morning. And here's what, what happens. James addresses something very interesting uh, today in this chapter. It's actually two parts. There's like a, a first chunk in this chapter, and then there's a second part. We're going to uh, touch on both of those, and, and that'll be uh, kind of the focus and the foundation of what we're going to look at this morning. What we've said, what we said last week is that this is a very practical letter. It's a very practical letter, but it's also a very profound letter because there are things in 
something here that are some foundational teachings to what Christianity is all about. But what, what, what Jesus wants for all of us for all times. James writes this letter. He writes it to a group of people, but it can really be something that, that translates into our lives uh, today in 2022, just as relevant as it was for those folks in the first century. James refers to Jesus's Sermon on the Mount and di- other different teachings that Jesus uh, said and taught. He, he refers to the Sermon on the Mount about 15 times in this letter. There are other times you'll, you, if you're paying attention, you'll see where James refers to something that Jesus had previously said. And James, when he writes this letter, he says, hey, some of you guys, you may have been in the audience that day, 10, 15 years ago, when, when Jesus was there on the side of that mountain and he gave this sermon, right? The Sermon on the Mount. So there's, there's about 15 references in this letter going back. So, hey, you remember when Jesus said this? Remember when Jesus did that, right? So it's the found, it's the backdrop. This letter is the backdrop for Jesus's whole ministry. And what James is doing is he's just reinforcing for here, the, the listener, hey, these are the things Jesus taught. These are the things he said. They're still relevant. We want you to take those and go with those. Live in, in those, right? This is the gospel message. This is what Jesus was about. And don't forget those things. And so I want you guys, like I said, James chapter 2. Let's start in verse 1. He starts to address something uh, a little bit different. He kind of shifts gears here. He says, uh, my, bro- my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in your glorious <clears throat> Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Let me stop there for a second. So this is one of the first times, even though James is a book that does, it, in chronologically it's kind of later on in the New Testament. This is one of the first, this is the first time that, that someone starts to refer to, I'm sure James referred to the gathering when they were in Jerusalem. He might have said this when he was talking to the church, but, but this is one of the first times it's written down on a, on a page, right? Where he says, my brothers and sisters. And so he, he, he kind of establishes or starts this idea that the church, that the Christians who are gathered are, are a family. You know, when you refer to someone as your brother, as your sister, right? That, that's, you're part of, of a family. And so Jesus, or James establishes this idea right here early in his letter. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in this glorious God that you believe in, that you're following, if you favor some people over others. Apparently, there was, there was an issue that had already kind of bubbled up in their gatherings, that if you came in, right, we'll see here in a second, if you came in and you were a certain person, you, you got certain privileges. But if you're other people, you, you were kind of pushed to the side. Here's what he says next. He says, for example, so he gives them this hypothetical, but it's probably something that was playing out in their gatherings. He says, for example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else you can sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? And so in this letter, James introduces, like I said, the idea that the church is a family. In chapter 1 that we read last week, he starts to refer to God as the Father. One of the very first times that that would have, have been introduced, that idea. And he says that, that we please the Father by caring for orphans and widows. That was in chapter 1. Women and children who are without families. And in this chapter, he turns his attention to another group, to the poor. 
Look at what he says next in verse 5. He says, listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who inherit the kingdom that he promised to those who loved him? Now, again, if you, if you catch that a little, the little phrasing there, um, James is referring to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus himself said in the Beatitudes, you may remember this in Matthew chapter 5. Go back and look at this. I think it's verse 3. He says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For they will inherit the kingdom of God. And so James is referring to Jesus' own words right here in that verse. And he says in verse 6, But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus, whose noble name that you bear? And so James is going to be clear. He says there's no room for favoritism, for partiality, for discrimination in God's family. He's saying that Christians are related, we're brothers and sisters, we're related by blood. Now, how do we become brothers and sisters? Well, we know that when we become a Christian, we we talk about being born again into the family of God through the faith in Jesus Christ. And so James will say this, that you are brothers and sisters, are are, are no more or less members of of your family based on what you wear or what you own or or what you have. It says that we are brothers and sisters because of the blood of Christ, right, that connects us. Now, I want you to think for a second about worldly, like our relationships in the world, like the relationships you, you have with other people. Most of the time, those relationships are based on how it can benefit you. Think about it for a second. I wrote a few of them down. A business partner, right? All right, two people are in business together. Where they're working together, they have a relationship that they're benefiting one another. An employee, a coworker, a teammate. Those relationships are transactional. Right? What can you get out of it? And what can you provide the other person? They're built on what you can provide and offer. And the temptation, right? The temptation of a selfish heart is to see people for what they can offer you. To look at people and go, what, what can I get out of a relationship with this person? W- will this friendship benefit me in some way? Will this relationship with this person, is it going to make me look good, right? W- will kindness to this person result, result in perks for me? W- what can I get from being a friend with this person, right? I don't know. Maybe you've, you've thought about that before in, in relationships. Like, all right, what, what are they offering me? Okay, I'll go down this road with them because I know I'm going to get something in return. Those are transactional relationships. And James says that family relationships are based on blood. And the church is a family and Jesus' blood is what connects us. He says that we don't get the benefit of a church family without loving everyone in the family, regardless of what they have to offer, what they look like, what they've done. James will teach that family is family, and the church should function like a family, like brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at what he says in verse 8. Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law that it's found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. 
And so when we treat some people as worthier than others, and James says that that flies in the face of Jesus' sacrificial love, that all members, that anyone who would come and seek Jesus as Lord and Savior, seek God as their Father, would want to have a desire to become a brother and a sister, they have a seat at the Father's table. They have a seat in the Father's home, right? They are welcome. And so there's this idea that it doesn't matter what you look like or what kind of a position you hold in the community or what job you have or how much money you have or what kind of a family you come from or what what you've done in the past or what color your skin is or what country you're from. It doesn't matter. None of that matters in the family of God, that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And so there's a foundational teaching of the gospel, and it says this, all people, all people have inherent dignity and worth because all people bear the image of God. James says it doesn't matter who you are or what you have. We are all children of God. We are all brothers and sisters. We all bear the image of of God the Father. And so when we make petty judgments of others based on what they wear, how much money they have, or what they're able to contribute, the church comes indistinguishable from the world, right? That's how the world acts and reacts. What can I get out of this? Well, how is this going to benefit me? Okay, I'll do this only if I know it's going to benefit me. And James says that judging the worth of people is a sin against what God wants for us, against pure religion. So preferring rich and influential people over marginalized people, he says that's, that's sinful behavior. And so when we enter the church family, we don't enter it based on merit. We understand that Jesus paid the price for all of us, the same price for every single person sitting here this morning. The same price was paid for your sins and for my sins. The same price was paid for those who are not here today, who are not in any church gathering today, who are maybe far from God. Jesus still paid the price for them, even in the midst of our sins. Right? We talked about that last week in Romans chapter 5. Jesus came and gave himself, even in the middle of our sins. And so what we understand is is that that price, that blood, it covers all of us, and it makes us brothers and sisters. The church that James is referring to here, that he's talking about, that this issue that he's addressing in the first century with this church is this idea that we should be a place and we should be a people that are countercultural, right? That look different from our culture in a lot of different ways because we live by different standards, right? At work, it, you know, you work, you work at a place, chances are, it, this is how the world works, it's merit-based, right? The harder you work, the more you produce, the more value you are, right? In, in society, like, the more you have, the, the richer you look, right? The more prestigious position and power that you obtain, right? The higher you go on the ladder. That's what the world, that's how the world looks at people. Their value is on what they look like or what they can produce, right? And James comes in and says, that's not how God sees his children. That's not how God sees us. We are all 
children of God. We, are, we all bear the image of God. And so we live in a different standard. We are called to a different story because we serve a different king and we're citizens of a different kingdom. James says this, and here's another profound truth that I hope you'll take home, that we should go out of our way to honor people who've been pushed to the fringes of society. James mentions something that's interesting. He talks about the royal law in that, in that passage of the, of the letter. He says that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Judaism was, it was, uh, in, in, interpreted, it was quoted back in, this is from Leviticus 19. This is an interpretation of, of that quote and a summation of like, what's the perfect law? If you could boil it all down, right? All right, what is the perfect, like, just in a little snapshot and a tweet and a sentence, you know, it's, it's this. You shall Love your neighbor as yourself. And so a true love for God and for other people was the essence of the entire Jewish law. And James is reminding them of that. It, Bobby mentioned it this, this morning uh, in his, in his uh, communion meditation. It's two sides of, of this coin, right? You can't have one without the other. A love for God and a love for other people. We're going to talk in a second about how you can't have faith without work. Same, same kind of concept. Two sides of the same coin. There's this love for God and love for people on this coin, right? And so look at what he says in verse 12. He kind of goes on. So whatever you say or where, whatever you do, remember that you will be judged. Now this is Whenever you see a verse like this, it's talks, talking about judgment and how we're going to be judged when we stand before God. Like, you need to, you need to take this very seriously, right? So whatever you say, whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. And so this morning, I want us to just kind of do an honest assessment of our hearts. I want you to, to just in the next couple of seconds, do an honest assessment of your heart because a lot of times our hearts, if we, if we kind of just look and kind of do an evaluation of them, they're bent inwards at certain places. And we, we've got blind spots, right? We've got places that we, if we were to really sit and think and pray and contemplate, we're like, yeah, that's probably true about me and it's probably something I need to pray about. It's probably something that God needs to, to work, to change in my life. Because if, if you're honest, you probably have been more prejudiced in your life than you realize at times. Maybe you've been, had a greater sense of entitlement than you'd like to admit from time to time. Maybe there have been, been more pride in your life than, than you're aware of. I know for me, I would definitely say there's, there's been pride at times that, that God's had to point out or others had to point out to me that's kind of there in the corners and the crevices of your heart. That you're like, you know what? That is in there, isn't it? Maybe you've been slow or unwilling to, to forgive someone else, show them mercy. Do you have a relationship in your life that you can point to or maybe point back to or point to now and go, if I'm honest, yeah, I really struggle to offer forgiveness, to offer mercy in this situation. And you would say, if you only knew what, what they did or what, what's happened in the past, it's really hard. And I would say, yeah, that's, that is tough. But when I read a passage like this that says, if you're going to receive mercy from the Lord, you have to show it as well. And so James would say to us, look at your life. Where is it? That you may have some prejudices. Where is it that you may have some pride? Where is it that you think you're better than someone else? And you kind of puff that up with pride and go, you know what? 
Yeah, I do do that sometimes. Yeah, I do have that thought in my, in my brain sometimes. Our hearts and I are deeply fractured and the once, one, only when we realize our own sinfulness and our own brokenness can we begin to be reconciled with God. And that was what James was wanting for the church here. He, it's what he was wanting, what he wants for us, what's, what God wants for us. To stop and to understand what may be going on inside of us. And once that happens, we can begin to show mercy, merciful love to others. That's why James bring this, brings this out in his letter. I love this uh, passage in Matthew chapter 9. This is what Jesus said. These are Jesus' words. He said, healthy people, they don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. And the scripture he quotes, it says, I want you to show mercy... Not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And Jesus himself said, I, I don't, your sacrifices, fine. The, the offerings that you bring are fine. But here's what I want from you. Here's how I want you to live your life. I want you to show mercy. Because when you show mercy, when you, you forgive, when you are people that are full of grace, you know what that's going to do in a world that's cynical and just mean and evil and unforgiving? When you act different, right? When you act countercultural to this world, that's going to that's gonna be noticed. And people are going to go, why would you act that way? Why would you, why would you forgive? That, that's something that almost seems unforgivable. I cannot believe you would forgive in that situation. And the opportunity is there to say, I, I can forgive and I can show mercy because I have been shown the ultimate mercy and forgiveness. Because Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. And so look at what James says as he continues on in this letter, the second part of this letter. He says this in verse 14, after he talks about favoritism, partiality, and, 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 and not viewing someone else as, as less than, he says this in verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, again, reminding them that they are part of a family? If you say that you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? And so you see, Faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. There's a little confusion when it comes to this idea. Like I said, Bobby mentioned this in his communion meditation. There's a little confusion when he talks about, when the Bible starts talking about our, our, our actions and our good deeds. There's, there can be this assumption that, like, that's all a part of our salvation. That we have to work our, we have to work our way into heaven. We have to work this out while we're here on earth because, because that's just how it works. And that can kind of be interpreted that this way when we read a passage like this. But I want you to be clear. James isn't saying that works must be be added to our faith, to add anything, to add, to try to assume that we need to add anything to what Jesus has done for us on the cross, for us, 
would be to assume, would be to say basically out loud that the cross wasn't sufficient enough. wasn't wasn't enough. It wasn't sufficient. It's more than sufficient, right? That that's all that had to be done. So James isn't saying here that we have to add something to our faith. What he's saying is that authentic faith will be characterized by our acts of love and service. And so in, in light of what we know Jesus has done for us, right? In light of what we just celebrated in, in a communion service, the cross, his, his blood that was shed, his body that was broken for us because of our sins, that offers us an eternal hope to spend an eternity with God in heaven. Because of that, considering that, look at this, considering what Jesus has done for us, Life should be full of actions, James is saying. Our actions should display our love for God and other people. The Apostle Paul said the same thing in Ephesians chapter 2. He said this, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. And look at verse 9. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. You, you feel like a masterpiece this morning? Maybe you're like, no, I'm like a wreck, right? I feel, I, I, you know, do you, you wake up most mornings feeling like a masterpiece? If you are in Christ, what Paul says is that you are a masterpiece. And look what he says. He says, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. If you are new in Jesus, if you have given your life to him, if you've submitted to Christian baptism and you've come up out of those waters, what Paul says and what James says is that we are new people. We are a masterpiece. He has made us anew in Christ so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Do you realize that God has a specific plan for each and every one of our lives? It's specific, but it's also pretty broad. And and it's right here. To do the good things that he planned for us long ago. He created you anew. He gave you a new life because of Jesus. You now have have this salvation. And so in light of that, considering the truth of that, James says and Paul says that your life should look different. It should be about your actions. And so we aren't saved by works. But we are saved for works. We aren't saved by our works. We can't work our way into heaven. That's all Jesus. But what we should do, what we are called to do, is to act because of that. And so here's what authentic authentic faith says. It recognizes the blessings in our lives. Do you have blessings in your life this morning? Can Can you point to at least one thing that you could say... Yes, this is a blessing in my life. I would hope that everyone in this room could say that. You probably have a list of things that are blessings that you go, this is a gift from God. This is a gift from God. This is a gift from God. What, right? Wake up tomorrow morning and before you get going, just in your mind, maybe you write it down, maybe you stop and contemplate it. God, these are the blessings in my life. An authentic faith recognizes the blessings in our, our life. Authentic faith says, says that we are grateful for those. Are, are you, 
when you're around someone who's just, who's grateful, who's just thankful for maybe something you've done, or just they're just like they're just grateful, like thankful to be alive, right? There's a, it's another day. It's a, you know when you're around someone that's positive and grateful and recognizes the blessings in their life, isn't that far more enjoyable to be around them on a Monday morning than it is someone who's just like life stinks and it's horrible and like you know what I mean? Like when you walk when you walk in the office or when you you talk to someone tomorrow and like they have this positive attitude and they're and you know they're a believer and they've been blessed and they're grateful and they live in the middle of that. Man, that is, that is light in a dark place. Authentic faith also shows others mercy and grace. It realizes that we've been shown that same kind of love from God. That's what authentic faith looks like. And so it works itself out that way in our lives. It displays itself in those ways just on a normal day. And so look at number, uh, verse 18. Uh, James goes on. He says this. Now someone may argue. Some people have faith. And other people have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds, James says. James says that true faith expresses itself in works. If you really believe, he says, you'll act on your faith. And then verse 19, he says, You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Look at this. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble, uh, tremble and tear. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? James said that even the devil's minions, they believe. They, they can answer all the Sunday school you know, questions. They have all the answers for church. They, they have a head knowledge right? They, but they don't fully faithfully live for him. They don't claim him as, as Lord and Savior. They haven't submitted to his authority. They, they are roaming around seeking to destroy because they think they are in power. Their faith is empty and dead. It's this belief, James, is that the demons, they believe, but it's, there's no action. There's no heart change. Right? And so it, it, he says, it's good. It, what good is that? James says, head knowledge doesn't save you. Authentic faith is displayed in real actions. It produces real fruit. And so works don't save us, but good works should follow true faith. And so I want to ask you guys this morning, what is it in your life? Can you look at your life and go, okay, God, you're, I, I believe in you. I love you. I know you love me. I know what you've done for me through your son. What is it? How is it being displayed in your life? What can you point to and go, yeah, God, I see you working in this way. And and I've heard the call to act, and you are producing this kind of fruit in my life, in this relationship. A lot of times it, it can be really slow producing fruit, but it's still there, right? It still gives us the, the encouragement to keep going. Sometimes we can get discouraged. Or we're going, man, God, I'm really trying, but I don't really see anything happening here, right? Maybe you're in a situation like that. Let me encourage you to keep going. Whatever situation you're in, say, God, I'm, I'm trying to faithfully follow you and walk in your ways. God, I, want, I, need, to, I need to see some fruit in my life. To keep going. And my prayer is that you would do that. That you would notice that. Because I believe it's there. Works don't save us. But good works should follow true faith. And so let's see how James closes out chapter 2. Here's what he says. In verse 22. 
actually 21, verse 21, he says, Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. It's interesting. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as, a, as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Uh, <clears throat> James closes out chapter 2, and he brings up two, uh, two interesting characters. He, he, he says, you remember Abraham? Back in the Old Testament, and they would say, yeah, we remember stories about Abraham. We remember the story of Abraham and Isaac. And he says, you remember that story? In, in Genesis chapter 2, when, when God said this to Abraham, he said, Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, the one whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. And so James says, you guys remember when Abraham did that? When he, when he gathered up the, 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 the kindling and the wood and the donkey and the servants and his son Isaac, and they headed up to Mount Moriah? And, and Abraham knew that God had told him to sacrifice his son. And Abraham was headed to the mountain to do that. And they get up there and he leaves a couple of the servants behind. He takes the wood and they build this altar. And, and, he, and Isaac is there on the altar, bound down on this altar. And Abraham with the knife is up about ready. Imagine this. When I think back on that story, I don't... Can I just confess to you this morning? I don't think I have the faith that Abraham had in that moment. I, I'm glad that wasn't me. But here's Abraham with a knife ready to strike his son, his beloved son, right? And kill him because that's what God told him to do. And thankfully, in the middle of that, God recognizes Abraham's faith. And he says, stop, don't hurt a hair on that boy's head. There's a ram over in the thicket. Go get that ram. That's going to be the sacrifice for the day. And Isaac was like, whew, that was a close call, right? Can you imagine me and Isaac? Like, dad, did you lost your mind here. What are we doing? You know, I'm so thankful for that ram. I bet every time he looked at a goat or a ram or any after, he's like, man, I'm thankful for those things because they saved my, you know. No, it was Abraham's faith that saved him. But in that moment, right, he's ready to act because that's what God told him to do. I can't imagine being in that situation. And James says, Abraham was faithful and he was called a friend of God because he didn't just have faith, but he acted on that faith. He gives another example of a lady named Rahab. He says, Rahab, in verse 25, he says, Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away for, for, uh, by a different road. This is from Joshua chapter 2 in the Old Testament, where uh, Joshua, Moses is dead. Joshua is now the, the leader of the Israelite people, right? You may remember this. And Joshua sends some spies into Jericho, this walled city. We sang about it in the first song we sang today. Th this walled city in Jericho. And he sends them in to check it out, to see, see what the city layout's like, to see if it's, they can take it. Uh, these spies are there. They get kind of hung up in, in a situation. They go into Rahab's home. The, the homes are kind of built into the walls of the city. They go into her home. She agrees to hide them in her home. The Jericho officials come knocking on the door and say, Hey, we're looking for these spies, these, these Israelite spies. Have you seen them? She lies to them says, No, I haven't seen them. All the while, they're there in her home. Knowing that if, if they find out 
that she's lied to the officials, she could lose her life, right? The, the spies would obviously be killed, but she could also lose her life. And here's what Joshua says, or what, what Joshua 2 records. Rahab said this to the spies when they came into her house. She says in verse 9, it says in Joshua 2, I know that the Lord has given you this land. She told them, we are all afraid of you. <laughs> Rahab, she said to, to the Israelite spies, the, the whole city is afraid of you. Everyone in this land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a drop path for you to go through the Red Sea uh, on dry ground when you left Egypt. And then later on, she says, for the Lord, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. And so what James is saying is, you remember Rahab, this prostitute? Right, this this lady who, I mean, life wasn't going really good for her, but she had this faith because she'd heard about this these Israelite people and she'd heard about this God that was doing miraculous things, right? That was doing all these these crazy things and these these Israelite people, this army that seemed so powerful, like they were a superpower and they shouldn't be, like there was something spiritual almost that was going on with them. And Rahab recognized in that moment, I believe. That whatever you guys got going on with God, it's the true thing. It's the real thing. He is the supreme God. He is the God of heaven and earth. And so James says, just like Abraham had the faith to go up on that mountain, and just like Rahab had the faith to hide those spies when her life was on the line, their faith required them to act. And so our faith is going to require us to act. Let me finish this up and we'll be done. Verse 25, James says this, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. If you haven't gotten it yet, he says it one more time, just like a body is dead. If it doesn't have breath, it's dead. Faith is dead if it doesn't act. And to sum all this up, I think back to a story that Jesus told that James would have remembered that some of his, the, the, the early church there in Jerusalem that had been scattered, they would have remembered and they would have held on to. In fact, it's a story that, that is even told today. You've heard it before. Jesus tells this story about a man. He makes up this story on the spot to display all that we're talking about this morning. He says there was a man who was laying on the side of the road. He was beaten. He was bloody. He was half dead. And three people walked by. A Jewish rabbi walks by and he walks on the other side. He, he avoids the situation. He ignores this man laying in the ditch. A Levite walks by. Another Jewish person walks by, uh, walks on the other side, acts like he doesn't see him, goes on about his business. A third guy, Jesus said, comes along. A Samaritan. They would have gasped when Jesus said a Samaritan, right? It would have been like, it would have been like in the 1940s, in the, in the late 1940s, after World War II, if a bunch of Jewish people would have been sitting in a room and somebody's telling the story and the hero of the story is a German. That's what, that's what Jesus, when he said a Samaritan, that would have been the same thing. There's not, Samaritans don't do anything good in their eyes. But Jesus says this Samaritan comes along. He sees the man. He picks him up. He scoops him up. He puts him on his donkey. He bandages his wounds, Jesus says. He takes him to the city. He pays for a night in the, in the hotel with the innkeeper. He says, hey, take care of him. I'm going to come back through. If, if you need some more money to take care of this guy, I'll pay it on my way back through. And Jesus tells this story about this good Samaritan that does these good things just simply because 
He had love in his heart for this guy. And he says, his point is, this Jewish rabbi and this Levite who was a Jew, they knew the law. They knew what they were supposed to do. They knew what God would require of them. What is it? It's all the way back in Leviticus 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And they ignored it. They walked the other way. They act like the guy didn't even exist. And so my question for you this morning is this. How are you going to demonstrate your faith this week? Is there going to be an opportunity for you? Yes, there will be. Will there be an opportunity that you will recognize and realize and say, you know what? This is going to be hard. This is going to be unusual. This is going to be different for me. I would maybe in the past have not done this, but there's an opportunity for you to display your faith this week. Maybe with someone that's hard to love. Maybe with someone that you need to forgive. Maybe with someone that you have, you have tension with or you have angst with or you, you are at odds with. God may call upon you today or this week to show some kind of mercy, some kind of grace, some kind of love to someone else. And what he's going to whisper to your heart is this. You do this. You do this in light of what I've done for you. This is not you doing it. It's the Holy Spirit living inside of you, displaying what is already there. We can sing songs all day long. We can read scripture all day long. We could stay here uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks and never leave. It's not until we go out there with our neighbors right? It's not until we go out there with our co-workers. It's not until we go out into this community and say, God, when you put someone in my path this week, will you just make me aware that I just need to display your love, that I just maybe need to serve them in an uncommon way that's counter to this culture that's different from this world? Will you show me that this week so that then others could, could say, you know what? That person's different. They live a different way. They seem to live by a different standard. There's something different about how they choose to love. There's something different about the words that they use, the way they treat other people. And just maybe you'll have an opportunity to have a conversation with someone. And they can say, what's this all about? And you can say, it's all about Jesus, about what he's done for me. I can never repay him. But what he's called me to do is to simply love him and to love other people. And that's what this is all about. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God in heaven, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to gather in this place to worship you. Sing songs of praise to you. To share communion as a family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. To maybe be encouraged, to be inspired, to be renewed, to be reminded. God, whatever it is that you're doing inside of us today, God, I pray that those of us who are believers would leave this place and understand what you've called us to do, how you've called us to live. God, I also pray that if there's a a single soul in this room today that doesn't know you, 
as their Lord, as their Savior. They haven't made that decision yet. They haven't decided to to give everything to you completely. God, that they would do that today. They would do that before they would leave this place. God, we can't imagine, those of us who, who know you and love you, I can't imagine facing facing another minute, another day, another hour, or another year without the hope that you give and you alone give. And so, God, I pray that if there's a person here today that, that just can't imagine walking out of this place without you being in control of their heart and their spirit and their mind and just giving it all over to you, that they would do that today. That's, that's what you do for us every day. You make us new. You say that we are your masterpiece. Even when we don't feel like it, you give us that confidence to go and to share your love. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you guys stand with me? For us to sing this song, if you have a decision, if you want to pray with someone, there are going to be some folks over at our decision room over here to my left. They'd love to connect with you. Let's sing Thanks for being here uh, this morning. If you're new, checking things out, maybe for the first time or two, there's an I'm New Wall out there in the lobby. We'd love to connect with you. Say thanks for being here today. A couple other things. Thursday night is our night of worship. So July 21st, Thursday at 7 o'clock. If you want to come at 6 o'clock or a little bit after, we'll have a cookout going on out here on the back lot. So come eat dinner and then stay with us for a night of worship Thursday night. And then also we're doing a thing called Ready Fest this weekend. We're partnering with the school system out at the Blair Center, which is right next to Southside. Michael McLaughlin is our deacon who oversees that. He's looking for some more volunteers. So if you'd be interested in like a Friday, help them set up at the Blair Center or Saturday where they give out just all kinds of school supplies to kids. They're hoping to have about a thousand kids come through there. Uh, so it's just an opportunity to connect with people in our in our community. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, see him back there at the back table. He'll be back there today answering any questions. Thanks, you guys. Let's get out of here. Let's go love God and love people and change this world. Have a great week.